We have an exciting episode today of the Making Disciples Everyday podcast with Kent Vessinger, who's written a wonderful book called Bridges Over Ladders, Create a Future with Millennials, or Millennials Will Create a Future for You. Uh, Vessinger is just an interesting guy. Um, he has been a businessman uh, for the bulk of his life, even cleaning offices in high school with a fellow classmate. He goes through business school at Kennesaw State University uh, by founding and leading the Lithia Computer Academy. He graduates, sells that business, and then goes to Jamaica, where he becomes the managing director of the Institute of the Caribbean. Kent is currently the founder and CEO of the Create to Elevate Research Lab and an MBA entrepreneurship faculty member at Galen University in Belize. He has his Ph.D. from Prescott College in sustainability education with a research emphasis in economic sustainability within structures suffering from migration, a Master of Arts in Practical Theology from Regent University, and a Bachelor of Science in Business Management from Kennesaw State University. Uh, Kent places a high priority on understanding and creating paths of sustainable growth for corporate, organizational, and government structures. He recognized that growth can be squandered or fortified. He believes that every organization has the opportunity to reduce crisis and secure growth. When employees or residents are provided with environments to develop and implement innovative ideas of value. So we're going to talk today in the podcast about how do we create environments within the church for millennials uh, to develop and implement those innovative ideas. Uh, his research is incredible. It's exhaustive and robust. Uh, you're really going to enjoy Kent. Well, man, I I really appreciate Leon connecting us, and I appreciate the perspectives from your research. I I I um I texted Leon. He asked he asked the he asked me he asked me if I agreed with. Uh, I can't remember how he phrased the question, but something about did I agree with the takeaways from what I read in your book? And and I texted him back and said said I actually felt less crazy after I read his book. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I get um I get a lot of people that say that to me actually. A lot of people, you know, because I, I think that um, you know, there's just been millennials have just been hammered so hard over the last, especially over the last 10 years. And I, you know, and I, I'm getting a lot of feedback from millennials saying, Hey, wow, this, this research project is relief. Cause like you say, it lets me know that I'm not crazy. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I've felt crazy, but I think, uh, and, and even in my time here, I've, I've, I've been here four and a half years and, um, it's funny. It's funny because I would say at my 14 year, month mark, I I began to feel like, you know, maybe I'm just not a good fit here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not yeah. kidding. I mean, I, I so when I was reading that in the book, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then, um, but I renewed optimism because I, I, I felt like we were navigating through some waters that would lead us to a, a, a very, um, mission-centered and, and, and collaborative and kind of synergized mm -hmm. together. And yes. Anyway, but I've been smacked with reality a few times too. So I'm trying to, Paul and I both, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but I think we're both um, trying to renew optimism once again. So 
I'll let him yeah. respond to that though. Yeah, he always says yeah. he always speaks for me and then he does it anyway. <laughs> but he's generally right, so I let him go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that there's, you know, unfortunately, and I hate to put it this way, um, and, and I'm speaking from an organizational structure, you know, so I'm gonna include our church organizations along with our nonprofits and our corporate structures. Um, but when you have a long tenured structure like you have at Brentwood that has been super successful and has had generations of success, it's very difficult for leaders to, um, you know, have a paradigm shift and realize that uh, the way that we've been doing things all along is probably not going to work now. And it's probably in some ways ultimately going to be cornerstones in our demise if we don't make some pretty significant changes to reach these demographics that are coming up. And that is, that is the, that's the difficult part that leaders have in organizational structures today is success in doing things the way they've always done them. And if, if, if those aren't challenged and aren't polished, it's going to be a tough road to hoe moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Uh, One of our, one of our leaders, whom you may have met. I'm not sure. Chris Brooks is his name. Oh yeah. I did meet Chris. Actually hit Chris and I like, tell me what he does. So he oversees, well, he does several things, but one of the things he mainly does is he oversees a ministry called Kairos and it's Mm. a ministry mainly to 20 and 30 somethings, but it's, it's broadened over the years. Mike started it. Mike Glenn started it. Okay. Okay. I think as a, as an, as an itch or as a scratch to the itch of how in the world are we going to reach next generation? Mm-hmm. He started it 15 years ago, Paul, is that right? Do you remember? Yeah, about that. And, and so, and then three years ago, I think it is now mm-hmm. handed it off to Chris. Yes. And, um, and so anyway, Chris, I heard him say last week, uh, this made this statement, and I think he got it from a book that we had all read, but he made the statement um, that yesterday's solutions are, are today's uh, problems. Mm-hmm. True. And, and I, what I appreciated about that statement is that it valued... It, it, still, it still is the conflicting dilemma that you write about in your book. Uh-huh. of perspective but but it at least values if that makes sense like it in other words it says you did solve problems right right, right? and so we want to affirm that uh-huh. and but but now now we have a different set of problems right so we we do we do but man i just i think i, I want to because i i think we stand on the shoulders and I really appreciated what you said in the book about the fact that that some of the similar outcomes and goals are present between generations, but just the way to get there is is such a different perspective, mainly due to the traumatic dysfunctionality that came from the amount of time it took to accumulate and and thus cheating the, the people in your life that were probably the most important. Uh-huh. And um, I think this, this conflicting perspective of, man, we all value, especially in a church with a church family, I think we all want to see 
disciples of Jesus becoming disciple makers with Jesus. Um, you know, even among the people that, that have not, and hopefully actually among people that have yet to believe. Mm-hmm. No um, doubt about it. And I think we all want to see that. Now we would probably like, even what I just used from a phraseology standpoint is a differing way to say it than, than someone who might be 20 years older than me. Mm-hmm. But, but we want the same thing. You know, I think that's what in my time here, I think that's what's baffled me at times is why, why does it seem so difficult to break silos and become collaborative and united around one purpose? And when we truly, I think we agree on what that one purpose is, right? Like that's what, I think that's what's been baffling. And, and I just appreciated the, the way you, the very articulate way, but also the very, um, positive way the very edifying way that you presented what you presented in the book well let let me just back up and tell you kind of the impetus behind the research project in the book because it directly correlates with i mean with great precision of what you just said um i am the parent of three millennial children 25 23 and 20 and by the way, the U.S. Census Bureau, and that's kind of what I use as my, my gold standard to define the demographics. The U.S. Census Bureau defines a millennial as someone that is born between 1982 and 2000. And now I'm a parent of three millennial children, as I said. And I started having or making um, observations that I felt were you know, paradigm shifts between the way that I process things and the way that they were processing things. And I felt like they were beyond just normal generational um, issues. And their perspectives were just completely different than my perspective. And so one day I was walking through the Atlanta airport and I was on the way out and I noticed a book on millennials. I picked it up and I, I read it. And after I read the book, I was greatly disturbed by the content of the book and by who also endorsed the book, because it was the who's who of organizational leaders in North America that had introduced or had endorsed this book. I was troubled by the fact that these people who had endorsed this book were using the content of this book to develop their trajectories of growth and put together a you know, solution set for things that they saw or problems that they saw in the future. And I was bothered by it because this particular author had used a very small sample size to come to these conclusions. His sample size was restricted specifically to his children and what he observed in the community. And I was, I was bothered by that. I was bothered by the fact that such astute leaders would take such a small sample size and incorporate that information or that data into their trajectories of growth moving forward. So I made a radical decision one day to go on Amazon and just look and see what was available on millennials um, on the website. And I found 31 books and I bought all 31 of them. Mm. And um, I perused through most of them. I read a couple of them and I found consistency, that same model of consistency all through every single one of the books. Now, 
as me being an academic, and I know sometimes being an academic is not well received in a lot of circles sometimes because there seems to be a, a little bit of divide between academia and reality. But me being an academic, I decided that um, I would broaden the sample size and I would put together a research project that would see if we could encapsulate a much broader voice than what I was witnessing or what I was reading. And so I put together this research project that, that pretty much consists of two surveys. One is a millennial survey, one is a non-millennial survey. They pretty much ask the same questions. It takes about a minute and a half to take the surveys. They're online, they're on the Create to Elevate website. And, you, and, and so what I did is I used the model, and I don't get to say this very often or in very many circles, but I used the model of teaching that Christ prescribed, which was the model of contrast. So I contrast the, the, the questions or the outcomes of each of the questions and use the, that contrast as data to be able to help um, organizations move forward and develop valid trajectories of growth based on a large sample size. Now, I, I have to tell you that when I set out to do this, I thought, if I can get 500 participants, I'm doing really well. And because 500 participants was far greater than anything that I had read in any kind of project on millennials that I had seen before. I can tell you that um, probably by the end of this week, we will be at 34,000 particip participants from 22 nations around the world in this research project that are speaking directly into equation or dilemma or situation um, between the conflict and the influence of millennials on our organizational structures. And that amount of voice and that far reaching, that breadth of, of understanding, um, I believe brings a sense of not just validity, but a great sense of understanding um, to this conflict and influence. Now, to come full circle, I, I like a lot of people, had falsely judged the perspectives, um, the motives, the ideals of millennials until this research project came out, until I started seeing the outcomes of this project. I, I will confess that I really wanted to name the book, instead of Bridges Over Ladders, which we can talk about in just a moment, but I really wanted to name it based on the outcomes, millennials, the greatest generation in organizational history. Because I really believe that millennials not only are um, innovative, creative, smart, but I believe millennials are reconstituting structures that needed to be reconstituted. And I know that doesn't necessarily set well with a lot of leaders, especially baby boomer leaders, especially, especially leaders who believe that their structure is absolute and has been a source of success for generations. But sometimes our structures need to be reconstituted or reevaluated in order to be successful moving forward. And so I'm absolutely convinced that, um, that not only millennials are game changers, but millennials are changing many, many structures, many perspectives for the good and not for the bad. And that's not based on my personal perspective. That's not based on my bias. That's not based on what I've observed around the dinner table with my children. That's based on nearly 34,000 voices that have come mm. forth in this research project. Wow. Yeah, not only, I mean, I, I think what I, not only do I want to applaud that, 
which my opinion doesn't really count for much, but, <laughs> but I applaud you in that. But man, 56 countries. Yeah, it's good. It's, 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 it's a, I, I can tell you that um, I get inquiries from all over the world um, regarding this particular project because it's not just organizations with municipalities, it's governments. I mean, I, I wrote another book um, called Paradise Restored because actually I lived in the Caribbean for 22 years. I was a missionary in the Caribbean for 22 years. And I wrote, uh, based on the research that came out of it in a research project that I did in the Caribbean, I, I wrote uh, another book, again, called Paradise Restored, based on the fact of what millennials are doing in developing nations and how millennials are, developed, are affecting and influencing developing nations around the world. And to this point, their retention rate is really poor. And millennials are flocking out of developed nations. Develop, developing nations into developed nations and it's leaving developed na underdeveloped nations in a very bad place. And as a result, I have a lot of national leaders that are saying, help us, help us with this research project. That's so cool. I actually have that. I went ahead and bought that book um, when I was reading this one. And um, so I have it downstairs on my shelf to read here soon. And I appreciate you mentioning it. I mean, I think, and I think I loved in Bridges Over Ladders, how you drew the correlation between the migration out of those Caribbean nations or underdeveloped nations mm -hmm. um, to the current migration from a, from a, from just an organizational and corporate standpoint that millennials uh, are making. And I mean, I, you know, I, it's funny, a buddy of mine, uh, a good example of that, a buddy of mine who's an incredibly gifted creative and of all places on earth, he lives in Jackson, Tennessee, but he, he gets contracted by all the major companies in San Fran, D.C., New York, and all over. <laughs> and here he is in Jackson, Tennessee, right? Yes, that is funny. And um and and it's interesting to me he'll tell we're good friends and he'll tell me every now and then a project that he's working on and and almost every time it's a millennial who thought here's a better way to do this mm -hmm. and one dude that he worked on a project for recently bas basically set himself up to do whatever he wants to kind of like a kind of like Blake uh I forget his last name for Tom that created Tom's. Oh yes, yes, yes. Kind of like what Blake did, how, mm. how, um, you know, I mean, he sold that company for multi-million dollars. Yes. And it now has infected to create a more equitable capitalism for multiple people. Now we can argue about views of capitalism. That's not the point of the podcast, but I, but I think it's important for everybody that is listening to the episode to understand it's time for us to, to stop labeling millennials the way we've been labeling them. Yes, I would agree. So I'm, I'm going to highlight a few things from the book and want to get you to comment on them. And then, and then based on what Leon has said to me and even things you've already said, Paul, I knows obviously we kind of we kind of tandem this so he can jump in whenever he wants and his questions are usually a lot more are a lot smarter than mine because he has a PhD in philosophy but but all that to say the 
I want to highlight some stuff from the book, but I'd love for us to take the conversation eventually as we wrap up to the, to this question. So just so you know where we're leading. Okay. I'd love to take it to the idea of, so what, what thoughts even researched and tangible, uh, you know, formidable thoughts, not just opinions, what, what backed and supported ideas about millennials do we need to consider when it comes to being disciple makers with Jesus? And, uh, you know, the name of this podcast is, as you may know, is making disciples, making disciples every day. And, and, um, you know, just understanding that the life of the, the church is not a what the church is a who, and, you know, and understanding the life of the church and the, all the 168 hours of the week. And, and, um, and so just what that disciple making movement that Jesus started, right? Like we don't have to start a movement. We want to join his. Right. You know, right. You know, like understanding what that might look like. And just even for church, church leaders, church members, others who might be listening. Um, and we get, it's a kind of a broad audience that listens, but, but other people that might be listening to begin to process that question of man, what are we, what thoughts maybe are we not considering? What are the formidable ideas that we need to think about when it comes to millennials in the context of disciple making with Jesus? So that's where we're going. Okay. Okay. So we'll get there, but I want to, I want to highlight a few things um, and just get you to comment on them because I think they're incredibly significant and I'll be candid. Can I, again, my opinion doesn't matter much, but I genuinely felt like I wasn't crazy the more I read, read your book, read through your book. And, and I also felt over and over again, I, or I asked this question, why am I not hearing this from more people? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so let's just highlight a few of those thoughts. I think, first of all, I think it's important for those that are listening to understand that, that the objective of your project was to secure growth and fortify profit with millennial employees and customers. So you focused mm-hmm. it, you focused it in a way that actually has pretty significant impact on all of community because there's lots of reasons why um, that objective impacts more than just the corporate culture of our, of our country and of our world mm-hmm. because of the holistic focus that millennials have wanting to give back of what's been given to them. And I think, um, I think that idea. So talk about just that objective. You talked about the impetus of it, but I would love to know how are you already seeing the fruit of that objective? How are you already seeing examples of that objective beginning to be met? Well, the, the, the growth factor, um, when I looked at the entire research project, I recognized that um, we have a huge sect of our population that is not only communicating about, we'll just say, the perceived weaknesses of millennials. We see it throughout social media. And as I've already alluded to, there are many, many books that have been written about it. There's many videos there's on you that we'll find on YouTube and other places. There are many... Um, professional speakers that have that use millennials as the butt of their jokes or icebreakers <laughs> as they are, you know, they're opening up their dialogue. That's right. And um, from my perspective in seeing the research project 
if we are honed in specifically on millennials, I believe that we miss the point. Um, I believe that we should be focused on growth in every organization, whether it is the church or whether it's in the corporate community or the organizational community, I believe that we all should be focused on growth. That's what go ye therefore into the world means. I mean, it's, it's not only growth from a personal perspective, but it's also growth from an organizational perspective. And, 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 and I really am convinced based on the research project that if we get hung up on judging millennials, and judging what the perceived perspectives are, that we're ultimately, we're missing the most important point, which is growth. And just because someone's perspective might be a little bit altered from ours, or someone's definition of terminology, or even growth, may be different than ours. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are um, not after the same objective, because you know, again, to come full circle, one of the things that I recognized, again, in the research project is that millennials are also after the same objective. We, Gen X, baby boomers, and millennials share this project, this objective, and it is growth. But, but, But millennials don't want to stand on the sideline and just observe growth. Millennials believe that they have insight and perspective that can help the particular, the specific organizations that they work for achieve growth. Yes. And so recognizing that millennials are saying, please let me off the sideline. Please let me off the sideline. Please give me a voice. I understand my demographic probably like the other demographics don't understand me. I've coined a phrase that no one understands a millennial like a millennial. And if we'll simply just give millennials a voice, in the process of growth, where we will achieve the growth objectives that I believe that we'll achieve the growth objective objectives that we have set out to accomplish. That's solid. And I think, you know, the word, the phrase you use or that I noticed several times in the book was active engagement. Right. And like our mission statement here, we renewed it two years ago to be engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere anytime with anybody. And, you know, now, I mean, I, I don't mind saying, and they know the guys around me know selfishly out of love for disciple making with Jesus to somehow fit in there, but it's certainly implied, right? So, mm-hmm. so all that to say, I think, um, I think the engage piece is so pivotal, right? Like, like you, you even said, you, I thought this was super interesting. You make the statement that millennials are the greatest generation in organizational history. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and actually you pose it as a question. Mm-hmm. But in collegial circles, you know, I, I also uh, teach some and obviously Paul with his background. Like I know that sometimes that means you're making a statement, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, so, so like... What, so match that statement, and I'd love for you to comment on that statement. But before you do, let me read these factors that you give. That and and you you give these throughout the book. But the list I want to read is the one that you put under the under the heading of opportunity or threat. Like in mm-hmm. other words, millennials are not a threat. Is the is the is the what you're asserting? It's actually one of the greatest opportunities we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I agree. So number one, recipients, these, this is all based on research and facts. 
Number one, recipients of the millennials are recipients of the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of humanity. Millennials have the highest annual purchasing power of any demographic ever recorded at $3.36 trillion, which is projected to reach $4.5 trillion by 2020. Millennials have 42% less credit card debt and 13% smaller mortgages at the same stage of maturity as baby boomers and genetics. And, and just as a side note, you, 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 you show and, or you make the statement in the book that most millennials, their debt is student loan debt, but not much more than that. Right. Right. And so then you go on to say millennials, 81% make purchases based on word of mouth yet nearly 77% define word of mouth as social media. They're the highest educated demographic ever recorded. By the time the youngest millennial reaches 25 years old, nearly six of 10 will have a bachelor's degree compared to 35% of Gen X and 19% of boomers. Uh Millennial student loan debt is approaching $2 trillion, which by the way, I want to give a shout out to the Ramsey Solutions Group here, whether you, some people, he's polarizing at times. Some people like him, some people don't, but Anthony O'Neill is a guy working with him now fighting that problem directly in a way that I think millennials are incredibly appreciative of. So that's something we can talk about at another time, but that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they're the largest workforce population on the planet. They occupy 72 to 76% of all tech positions. Millennials migrate from job to job at an average of every 18 months, which is a higher rate. Um, a higher rate than any demographic ever recorded. The average cost to replace one millennial employee exceeds $35,000. 11% of the respondents say it costs more than $50,000 to replace one millennial employee. They define the age of adulthood as 28 years old, and they are very purpose-driven. So all of that, Right. I feel like I'm tossing you a very slow and easy softball pitch here, but <laughs> right. Well, you know, why, why are, are millennials potentially the greatest generation in organizational history? Well, you know, based on the facts that we just quoted, some of those came from the research project. Some of them came from the London school of, of economics. Um, millennials, I believe, are not just the greatest opportunity for growth that baby boomers and Gen X will have in their lifetime, but I also believe that, um, as I've already stated, that that growth and that opportunity of growth will come with reconstitution of structures, and, mm. and we'll, we'll use a biblical term for that, a renewal of structures, and some of those structures are in a position where they need to be renewed because what has happened in many of those structures is that um, they have run their course and because they've run their course, they're losing and because of the perspective of millennials, they're losing their role of effectiveness um, with this particular demographic. Now, recognizing that highest annual purchasing power ever recorded, greatest benefactors of wealth in the history of humanity. By the way, that is not something that's coming. We're already two years into that process. Um, wow. And we're, we're seeing it globally wide. Um, but, but recognizing highest educated demographic we've ever recorded, but having the highest level of student loan debt, 
but also being frugally minded. Now, when we think about all of those variables that are associated with those statistics, we can't see opportunity that's there. We, we are so consumed in judgment of the perspectives and maybe some of the perceived ideals that we're missing the picture of growth and opportunity of growth that we have in front of us with millennials. Now, there's a couple other things that are related to that um, that I think actually are even more important. Um, we, because we also recognize that, that growth from a kingdom perspective is not predominated or dominated by a financial discourse, like some of the things that I have laid out there. There are a couple of the factors there, and, and one of the factors that we find in the research basically says this, and, and they're the two most emphatically answered questions in the survey. One of the questions is, um, do you respect and adhere to the core values of the demographics before you? Mm. Let, let me repeat that again. Do you respect and adhere to the core values of the demographics before you. Again, this is the most emphatically answered question in the survey, and most baby boomers and most Gen Xers see this from a perspective of that millennials completely, um, a good Caribbean word is dis or reject <laughs> the leadership values of the demographics before them. But 82% of the millennial res responders say yes, we respect and adhere to the core values of the demographics before and before us. Now, that is a tremendous sign of a couple things. Um, and it, it, the follow-up question uh, really identifies and clarifies this. It says, um, do you respect and adhere not just to the leadership wisdom uh, in front of you, but, but basically, do you want to be, and I'm just paraphrasing the question, do you respect or want to be mentored? by the demographics before you. 78% of the millennial respondents say, we do. Yes, so there's this, yes. there's this great opportunity, not just from a, a financial discourse, but there's this great opportunity to speak into a demographic that's hungry to grow, that wants the leadership wisdom from the demographics before them, respects the core values that are there, and wants to be a participant, but wants to be mentored. And one of the things that I have observed in all of my travels and research presentations, um, really around the world with this research project, is the fact that I, do, I see very little intentionality from mentorship to, to mentor millennials. And one of the things that I, that I work with, with a lot of organizations, is to help them establish and put together a mentorship program so that we can realize this growth opportunity that's in front of us. Because if we don't recognize this opportunity A and this potential for growth B and also this open opportunity for mentorship C, we are going to miss out on this great, great growth opportunity that's in front of us. So I am anal about mentorship and being intentional about a mentorship program for millennials. And I believe that will help us realize our growth opportunity and potential in our organization. So, and plus it's biblical, right? It's no absolutely doubt. biblical. No doubt. Can you make a couple of comments about what you understand mentorship to be and perhaps what the, from, from your, um, uh, even anecdotally, just from the stories you're hearing, what does the millennial generation think mentorship is? 
Yes, I definitely can. And, you know, first and foremost, and I, I want to accentuate this word, it has to be intentional. It yeah. cannot just be happenstance. It can't be an occasional lunch, you know, every once in a while. Um, it has to be intentional. And millennials are looking for intentional mentorship. Now, I'll go all the way to the end of the research project um, to, to kind of clarify this particular question. There, is, there are a couple facets that are negative in regard to millennials in the research project that kind of come forth. They're, they're illuminated. And one of them is task failure. We see one of the components that we see in this, that, that is the impetus behind this job migration every 18 months with millennials is task failure. And millennials seem to be, um, when they are failing at the simplest of tasks, aren't reaching out, looking for help to overcome that task. It is a core component of why the millennials are quitting their job and moving to the next particular position because of the lack of understanding of how to overcome task failure. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that sounds, you know, uber negative, but, but, but when, we, when, we, when we take an airplane view of this perspective and we look at that reality, one of the things that we see is that millennials were in a position to be raised uh, in a place, and I, I'm using a blanket statement here, and so forgive this blanket statement. I know not, not all people raise their children this way, but predominantly this demographic was raised in a position where the culture and our perspectives and our motives did not want them to fail. So we'll talk about the trophy generation. Everyone got a trophy, and I know that's a very negative term, and it's a very negative way to look at it, but when, when, when children and kids weren't allowed to fail, and then all of a sudden they become adults and they're in the workplace. And then they're also, they're having the simplest little failure, but they don't know how to overcome that failure. They're, they're moving on from job to job. And so I'm saying yeah. all that to say millennials are looking for mentorship to learn to how to overcome some of those inadequacies that have been kind of um, embedded into their rearing. And if we completely ignore that, or we come up with the assumption that, well, I overcame it, so millennials should be overcome it. We have to remember that it was the baby boomers and the Gen X who actually were the motivators behind the trophy generation. And I believe that they have a responsibility of mentorship to help this demographic through this challenging time of reconstitution of organizational structure and process. So Man, it's a huge deal. I mean, I think, you know, several things I want to throw out there. One I just remember even me growing up, I, I remember how often I would hear my dad make the statement, um, you know, I, that he got one pair of shoes per year. It was always during the winter. He got one pair of jeans every other year. He got, you know, I mean, he barely like, and I remember how often that we were pretty, we, I grew up in inner city, New Orleans. We were pretty poor until, until my late middle school early high school years. And even then we, we made enough where we could go out to eat more. We could go out to eat and do other things like that. But, you know, the things that we had not been able to do as much. And I think, um, I remember how often he would say to me, I just want you not to have it like I've had it. Right. And, you know, and, and I, I had to learn, right? I had to, as I grew older, it wasn't a, it wasn't a shortcoming, right? It was a reactivity of, of his generation. 
But the other thing that I've noticed is how many of my colleagues, my dad taught for New Orleans Seminary for 40 years. He's been a pastor for over 50 years. And how many of my colleagues, because he's so authentic and honest and real and, and, and his humility and his wisdom, and not to mention he's just a smart dude, like, like I have so many of my colleagues over the years that have said, do you think your dad would be willing to mentor me? And how often dad would look me square in the eyes and say, I don't really have anything to give to them. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a generational thing, right? But like, like as, as in, in working with church renewals, I work a lot of times just coaching and encouraging church renewals. And, and man, I've felt, and it has been from research, but it's also been some from just experience that over a 15 year period now I've watched over and over again, the, the, the baseline issue over and over again has been that we've lost the spirit that John had that he writes about in 3 John verse 4 when he says, my greatest joy is that my children believe the truth. Uh-huh. We've lost that. We have. Like, what do we have to do as an older generation? What does the older generation have to do to give all that they've learned about the truth and his name is Jesus and how the truth begins to collide into the untruths of all of our lives. And how do we give that wisdom to the next generation and to the next, right? And we've lost that. We, we, we now are more about self-preservation and maintenance of institution than we are about the movement of Jesus. Yes, correct. And, and so, and yet I find over and over and over again, young leaders saying, I just want to be coached and mentored. And, and I, I really, I, I think you're right. Oh, I think you're dead on. I think we're missing it. I think, you know, and, and, and it was funny that you went there on your own with your answer there, because the question I was going to throw, or the next element from the book I was going to throw out was the part where you say, what is it that millennials reject? They do not reject the core values of the leadership or the leadership wisdom from the generations before them or the end result of financial security. But they do reject the process that boomers and Xers used, or you you use the phrase BXers, so as not to have to write boomers and Xers. Right. <laughs> Correct. But they do reject the process that VXers use to achieve financial security. Millennials reject the ladder of success. Yes. What's in your own, in your research, how, if you could speak for millennials for a moment, how do millennials define success? Well, I'm going to go back to the position of contrast, if I can, and sure. start with the BX or definition of success um, seems to be, and look, this is not a knock on baby boomers or Gen Xers. There's a lot of validity to what I'm about to say, sure. um, but accumulation equates to security from a baby boomer and Gen X perspective. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we don't have time to go into today that, that we could find in the book. Um, however. That ladder of success, we're going to climb methodically and intentionally one rung on the ladder at a time. And when we get to the top of the ladder, 
hopefully we've accumulated um, an, a, a strong enough and a deep enough pot of gold, lack of a better way to say it, um, so that we can live out the duration of our life with. So there is this period, whether it be 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, that we spend meticulously climbing up each rung of the ladder with one objective, and that objective is to reach the end stage or season of life that we have the security because we've been accumulating all of those 40 years that we have the security to live out our lives in retirement. Um, a side note, um, retirement, there is no Hebrew word that translates into retirement because Hebrews don't have a perspective. Yes. They work until they die. That's right. Um, now, in regard to millennials, millennials see, and that's the reason the book is called Bridges Over Ladders, Millennials um, reject that idea, or I mean, the, based on the research, reject that idea or mindset that I'm going to climb one rung of the ladder 40 years with this one objective at the end, because millennials say we want to live out a holistic life, not just at the end of our life, but we want to live out a holistic life every day of our lives. And one of the phrases that I use in the book is the fact that uh, ladders tend to leave people behind. Ladders tend to be focused on me, myself, and I. Ladders tend to be what I can achieve and what I have and who I have to step over to achieve. Where bridges and millennials are building bridges to other cultures and other perspectives and other genders and whatever, however we want to phrase it. Millennials see that we can live a rich, full, holistic life every single day of our life instead of waiting to the end of their life. But millennials also recognize that takes compromise. Yeah. Millennials see that they probably are not going to accumulate and have the security that their parents did because they've chosen a process that seems to say, we're going to pull everybody along with us. We want everyone to grow with us, and we're not going to leave anybody behind. And so that perspective at some way has rubbed a lot of baby boomers and Gen Xers uh, wrong um, because this, this kind of theory of rigidity, the older that we get, the more rigid that we get, that perspective has kind of set in with a lot of baby boomers and Gen X that reject this idea of a holistic mindset to pull everybody along at the same time so that everyone can experience growth and not a select few can experience growth. It's so good. And, and Paul, jump in anytime here on this, but, but like, I appreciate the challenge that you give, and I'm going to put this in the context of church leaders, the challenge that you give to organizational leaders, whoever they are, but I would apply it here to church leaders. Let the legacy of your leadership not be the ladders you climbed with the bridges you built. Mm -hmm. Right. Unpack that for a minute, because I think that's an incredibly significant challenge that you're giving. Uh, and it's all again, it's not just based on your opinion, like you're demonstrating through the research that there's a group, there's a generation crying out for that bridge to be built. Yes, I am um, because I get this because I am so unbelievably blessed to have this opportunity to present this research to organizations all over. I also am blessed to hear stories and realities coming from people who 
um, I wouldn't ordinarily get to hear if I wasn't in this, but if God hadn't put me in this specific sphere. And I'm specifically thinking about a young man who I would say is at his most, maybe 32 years old, that lives in Miami, Florida. And I met him about a year and a half ago um, at a conference that I spoke um, at for a wealth management company. And him and his boss came to ask me questions when it was over with. And um, through that dialogue, um, they relayed that this young man, who's 32 years old, was the top producing wealth manager for his company in all of South Florida. Wow. And he was super impressive, had a super um, impressive academic background. He had... Obviously, his success was a little bit unparalleled at unparalleled as age, um, but he had a problem. He wanted to go. He presented his boss with this idea of going part-time, and his boss could not wrap his mind around the fact that here was this 32-year-old young man with a whole world in front of him that was making a significant amount of money and could potentially make millions upon millions of dollars in his in his ladder that he was you know, attempting to build, he couldn't understand why this young man would want to go, quote unquote, part time. And the boss had rejected this and refused to allow him to do it. So they came and asked me about it. So then the motive, then the, then the, the, the dialogue goes to the point, what's the motive behind going part time? Well, this young man had communicated to me that um, he had a handicapped brother and he picked his handicapped brother up from school several days a week. And he knew the school very well. And he had become a burden. There, there was a burden that was placed on his heart about this particular school. And the burden was that these, these children were graduating from the school without any kind of music education. And this young man, this wealth manager, was a master guitar player. And he wanted to, be, he wanted to go part-time because he wanted to teach music to these kids in this specific school in the afternoons, five days a week. His boss just could not wrap his mind around the fact that this young man was rejecting a ladder and was building a bridge. And I have to tell you, building a bridge to maybe a community, um, a family, um, a reality that, um, that the boss probably could not identify with. And I hear stories all over the world that are just like that, where millennials are building bridges to communities and families through their giftings. They're rejecting um, the security and accumulation that may come from the latter, but their priority seems to be, based on the research and the stories that I hear, their priority seem to be, I'm going to help others instead of help myself. I'm going to die to what my future could hold if I can improve the future of another, our perspective, our reality of another. And I find that extremely biblical. And I find that rooted in so many teachings of Christ. And I personally find it refreshing that people would reject or even um, reduce the potential, their earning potential in the future to ensure a better future for others through their own giftings. It's in- it's incredibly significant and, and, and a great example of, of, what, of what, like you said, success is um, for them. You know, I want to I begin to transition toward what I think is um, 
will kind of move us toward wrapping up. But but I I wanted to just read. There was one thing I wanted to read, and I'm having trouble finding it now. But you talk about the idea that based. I'm affirming what you just said. You talk about the idea that um, the active engagement that boomers want to have and. And here it is, the strategic and active engagement in the lives of hurting, sick, and marginalized people is a beautiful expression of the most powerful force known to humanity, love. The generations preceding millennials have been the most generous generations in history, donating billions of dollars to fund and establish charitable institutions that positively affect the outcomes of many lives throughout the world. Whereas millennials respect and revere the sacrifices made to help people, the survey reveals that millennials are redefining active engagement with charitable causes and organizations. While one definition of active engagement is pushing out, the other is pushing in, creating a cumbersome cross current that must be wisely managed. If the cross currents are misjudged, the outcome could be deadly to organizational structures and thus forfeiting the opportunity for growth with millennial employees and customers. And that's the example you just gave. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and, and I'm convinced, like I, I, I personally think, and I think Paul agrees with me, that the primary way that Jesus made disciples was by inviting people who did not yet understand his kingdom and the economy of his kingdom to serve the marginalized with him. Right. It wasn't an obligation for his followers. It was a way of becoming a follower. It wasn't an obligation for his disciples. It was a way of making more disciples. And, and, and we've invited to, we've invited people to things for so long in church culture, which only builds up the accumulation idea, right? And we've got to take a holistic view to understand that inviting people along with us to serve and to eat and to abide in Christ together, right? That idea, it's so important because it's how Jesus made those first 12 and 11 of the 12, right, took. And so it's, and how they multiplied. And it, and to me, it's the, it's, it's such a, we are in a moment in history in the 21st century where we can take those same principles that he embodied in the first century and potentially ignite something that could be the most historic uh, exhibition of his kingdom that we've ever seen. Correct. What's, what's holding us up from getting there? Well, I'll look at it just, I'll, I'll refer back to, again, the research project and from an organizational perspective, but I think all of the listeners will identify with what I'm about to say. And again, I am not, um, I am not speaking negatively on any particular demographic. I personally I'm right on the cusp between baby boomer and Gen X. I'm 55 years old. So I have some well-entrenched perspectives of my life of what I think organizational structures should be as well that don't necessarily align with what the research has showed. But I'm in the process of trying to align my perspectives with what the research showed because there's just too many voices to suggest otherwise. And I don't want to be one of those who allows 
my particular organizational structure to die because I have stood on a perspective of this is the way that we've always done things and we're going to continue to do them the same way, even if it kills me. I just don't want to be guilty uh, of, of that particular per perspective. But saying all of that, um, and I just lost my train of thought. What was the, I'm sorry, what was the question that you asked me? No, no, you're good. You're good. You, I think where you were taking that, because I asked the question, what's holding us up from seeing that? Oh, yes. Is the fact that um, the demographics before, baby boomers, the baby boomers and Gen X, and I, and I allude to this in the book, again, not to be negative toward these particular demographics, because I am one, seem to be the check-riding generation. And yeah. that's positive. And there's been a lot of people that have greatly benefited from checks that have been written from this particular demographic. But the writing checks is they're continuing to, you know, scale their ladders of success and accumulate as they go to the top. And all of that has been positive. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're in a transition perspective where this particular demographic, millennials, they're not rejecting the check writing demographic. But what they're saying is, is that we actively want to place our thumbprint of love on the lives of people. We don't want to be the presenters of checks. We want to die to ourselves and help and elevate the lives of others. And that is exactly how Christ built his kingdom and his church in the New Testament. Yes. I agree. And what, what I really appreciate, because I think where you take all of that that you just said, where you take it in the book is it, to, to, here's my paraphrase, here's my summary of where I see you taking it. And it comes in a contrast, again, to use the contrast that you, uh, the contrast method one of the research questions that you asked both baby boomers and Gen X as well as millennials, and I'm talking about two groups. You grouped baby boomers and Gen X together and millennials together. Correct. Um, you asked this question, what method do you utilize to retain your millennial employees? Mm -hmm. For the baby boomer Gen X, here are the top five answers. Pay increase, position promotion, fringe benefits, other, <laughs> and then the lowest, 1% increased voice, 1%. On, in contrast, the same question, what is the number one reason, or excuse me, um, you ask, you, you alter the question basically mm -hmm. because you give the contrast, right? So you, mm -hmm. retaining employees for the baby boomer Gen X, the contrast question would be, what's the number one reason why you left your last job? That's what you asked the millennial. Mm -hmm. Here are the top four answers. The number one answer, 38%, not heard. The number two answer, pay. Number three, freedom to create. Number four, benefits. It's the exact opposite. It is. Like, and I, am I wrong in thinking that even in church culture, that may be what's keeping us from seeing what I think could be the greatest exhibition of on earth as it is in heaven that we've ever seen. Yes. That, that millennial leaders are not given the chance to speak up and have their voice heard and valued and feel like they're actively engaged in the purpose of the organization. Yes. 
I would agree. And it goes back to the phrase that I was saying that I kind of coined from the research is that no one understands a millennial like a millennial. And if we want to tap into the largest population sect on the planet today that, you know, has all of these amazing attributes assigned to it and associated with it, um, we have to be able to, we have to hear the voice. If we truly want to be effective in reaching this particular demographic for the kingdom of God, we have to have a voice of that demographic that's providing us with some guidance of how to effectively achieve that growth opportunity that's there. And if we are discounting or we are omitting or we have you know, built a wall um, from that voice, we're just not going to be effective in reaching that. And, and I think that um, um, we see kind of a, a, a you know, lack of a better way to say this, another way, a contrast in Europe that's been happening for the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, we saw, we saw the European, many of the Europeans, not all, but many of the European churches, synagogues, cathedrals have turned into tourist destinations. And, and the reason they've turned into tourist destinations is because voice was discounted. This is the way that we've always done it, and we saw a death to that. I don't want to see that happen in this nation. I don't want to see that happen anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And, and if we're going to truly um, be participants of growth, we have to give voice and respect to that particular voice to help us achieve that growth with millennial demographics. No question. No question. And I think it's not going to be easy because the, the baby boomers and, and Gen Xers, we have to humble ourselves Mm -hmm. we have to not take it personally but i think even more than that take the perspective off of us and value actually honor the fact maybe give some um benefit of the doubt that the millennials desire to see the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven just like we have and and I don't, I, I don't know why that would be that difficult to give that kind of honor, but, but you hit it on the, on, you hit it on the, in the book that the communication breakdown between the generations, it seems to be what's hindering us reaching that point of being able to honor each other mm-hmm. that way. You know, I, I want to respect your time. And, and, and I think, I think we've given, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you have yeah. too. And, I have thoroughly, thoroughly. And, and I, I, I just curious as, as, as we wrap up here, all of this that we've said, what do we need to be thinking about when it comes to disciple making among millennials and helping them not only become disciples of Jesus, but become disciple makers with Jesus? What do we need to be thinking about? What, what, what are maybe two or three closing thoughts that you would just encourage to say, man, don't miss this and, and feel free to use contrast or, or whatever method you'd like. But, but, but I'd love to know, even if it's off the cuff, although it sounds like you've given thought to this, mm-hmm. what, what, what two or three things uh, that you might highlight there? Well, we've already accentuated the voice factor, um, I think is huge. Um, I think that voice, I think when we explore voice and that voice at some level 
um, in a micro cause micro um, perspective turns into a um, mentorship program or you know being intentional about mentorship it turns into this fiduciary relationship um, let me give you an example of this I, and I humbly say this but um, about four years ago I was invited to give a TED talk um, down in the British Virgin Islands in Tortola where I lived for a while and it was on my Caribbean research that I did when I was finishing my PhD and after the TED talk, I had a young man, a young millennial, ironically from Nashville, who came to <laughs> me. I would, I would say he was 25, 26 years old and uh, asked me to go to breakfast the next morning to chat. And so we did. And he was communicating some of these issues to me and some of the struggles that he was having. And uh, actually, some of those issues that he brought up um, kind of serve as a little bit of a, a foundation of curiosity for me to dig deeper into the and, and develop the Millennial Research Project. Well, about a month after I returned home, I got a letter, I got an email from him. And the email said, would you be interested in a mentorship program with me? And if so, here is the paperwork that we can fill out. We'll make this intentional. It's, a, it's part of an organization that I belong to, a mentorship organization. And so, you know, being, you know, still having a little bit of pride, not being perfected into the kingdom of God, um, I was like, wow, this is a young, impressive, accomplished young man who wants me to mentor him, and I was honored to do so. I opened up the, the link that he sent me, and I recognized that the mentorship program that he was asking me to participate in, he wasn't asking me to mentor him. He was asking him to mentor me. Wow. And uh, even though I got a chuckle out of that, and through that mentorship process, I realized that um, as prideful as we can be about our wisdom and our accomplishment and our age and all that life has brought us, relationship, mentorship, and voice all has to be and should be a fiduciary relationship. So good. And allowing us to speak into them and them to speak into us because at the end of the day, we're all after the same objective. And that's growth. And if we can see, if we can put on the lens of growth and say all those other things are secondary, God wants us to grow his kingdom. He wants us to disciple his kingdom. We have to have a position of respectful fiduciary relationship so that I as a baby boomer and Gen X can grow. And so also the millennial can grow through my wisdom and my life experience as well. It's so good. It's so good. I, I remember in my late twenties, I sought out um, the mentorship of an older gentleman whom I still have a great friendship with, and and um, he poured into me big time. He was incredibly intentional. Four years into our relationship, we were having coffee and as we normally did, and and he um, says to me, he gives me a hug as we get up to go. And he says, you asked me to mentor you. This is him speaking. He said, Jason, you asked me to mentor you, but I just wanted to encourage you that a lot of our times together, I feel like I end up getting mentored. Right. And I had never thought about that. But genuinely, like I, I wasn't, and I know I'm not saying that false modestly. Like I, I wasn't, 
thinking I was doing any of that, right? Mm-hmm. I knew, I, knew I, I just knew how encouraged I felt every time I walked away from him and the wisdom that he had shared. But what I, what it made my respect for him even greater than I already, it already was, because what he was basically saying to me was, "I'm a learner with you, right? I'm not just a teacher of you." And that's, right. that's so pivotal, man. Like, like that's what you're saying. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, can we all be disciples, right? Can, can we all be learners, you know, and, 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 and really approach it. And I think, I think the key, if, if, especially if you're a church leader listening and you want to see disciple making happen among the next generations, pull together a cohort that you don't, direct as the master expert, but that you join as a co-learner with a group of millennials, right? Like, like to me, that would be, that would be a pivotal step if someone's wanting to really move in that direction. And I, I appreciate you saying that, man. I think that's funny that he sent you a link. And did that. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I, I think at some level, one of the variants of disciple is apprentice. Yeah. And we all are apprentices of Christ. Yeah. Uh, no matter how old we are, we sure. are apprentices of Christ. And just by the fact that we are an apprentice of Christ means that we're in a position where we should not ever become content with what we know. And we should be in a position to continue to grow. And that growth is found in community, in relationship that's intentional, that's also defined in mentorship. And I believe that when we engage in that, intentionally engage in that, we find growth no matter what stage of life that we're in. And I hope that we would all approach that, you know, perspective and reality as well. So good. So good. Well, well, Kent, man, thank you so much, not only for your time today, but just even for your research. And um, I didn't get to tell you this early on, but my son and I have been to Belize twice when I was... I was a lead pastor with a church family in Mississippi mm. at one point for a short season. It was a, it was a short season there, but, um, but that church family had committed to support a, a trade school in the inland of Belize and, and it's near the Guatemala border. And, um, and a, like banana, uh, is it the banana river? Well, I'm trying to remember the there's yes. a river there's a river that runs through the town and, and they rescue, they basically bring 14 to 17 year old boys off the streets and teach them a trade. And, and uh, pretty impressive. They've been going now for about 30 years, but wow. Wow. But, so I took my 12 year old and he was 12 and 13, the two times we went and, and um, man, he was blown away by where they slept, what they did, what they had. It was a pretty eye opening experience. For mm-hmm. It is. But Belize was, Belize was a beautiful country, both on the coast where most people see it and, and inland as well. And I'm sure you enjoy your time there, but thanks for what you're doing there. Thanks for your research. Thanks for, I mean, it's, it's, I just really appreciate it. And I would recommend to everybody listening, um, I already, there's a group of guys in Orlando that I walk with and, uh, cause I lived there for, I used to live there. I was there for 14 years and, when I read your book, I texted them a picture of it and said, all of you should read this as soon as possible. Oh, thank you. I would, I would recommend it to anyone listening and anyone that really desires to, 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 
to buck the system and quit criticizing millennials, but instead honor them enough to give, to ask the question, what's, what's the value that God's given to us in this generation? And, and uh, man, thanks for what you've done in that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. I, and I appreciate the opportunity. And it is my heart, um, even though this research project has been steeped in kind of secular organizational perspectives over the last three years since its existence, I, I want your readers to know and, and you guys to also know that it's really at the heart of my heart that I want to use this research to help the church. Yes. And so, you know, being able to speak into this particular, um, you know, organization and group and church is imperatively important to me. And I, and I just, and I would ask that all of you continue to pray about how I can use this research to help open some eyes, um, you know, instill some wisdom and participate in growth for the church moving forward. Well, man, I personally, and I, I think I'm not the only one I've, I've already communicated with a couple of our leaders who have affirmed that, that they are talking with you and, and I, I hope in 2020 we can bring you here to Nashville and we'll certainly mm-hmm. let the people around our network and other listeners know when that's the case. And I appreciate your heart in that, man. And and I hope we get to hang face to face and share a meal and some coffee together at some point. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. All right, man. We'll-